I'm your host, Lily Sloan. If you haven't heard the show before, uh, I'll catch you up. Not on every broadcast I've ever done, but just the gist of the show. Uh, I'm a psychotherapist in San Francisco, and this is a show where we talk about the intersection of psychotherapy, personal growth, and activism. If you would like to join in the conversation, tweet at us during the show at, at radical underscore advice. And if you have life questions you want addressed at a future date, you can submit them anonymously at RadicalAdviceShow.com. I would love to hear from you in whatever fashion you're comfortable with. And just a reminder, the show does not replace mental health treatment. And to, you know, get help with any specific concerns that you're having, I encourage you to seek out assistance from a trained professional. So I'm coming off of a weekend of reactivity and anger and, uh, you know, not necessarily being great around those things. And that, that's something I've noticed happening a lot more since 2016. I wonder why. But um, yeah, I think instead of going into all the things that happened in the world, I'm just going to kind of jump right into the part where we take a moment to check in with ourselves so I encourage you to if you can just pause whatever you're doing and if it's safe to do so maybe even close your eyes just notice your breath notice how your body feels in your seat or 
maybe as you're moving. The goal here isn't to reach some level of Zen perfection. It's not enlightenment. It's just to be with what's there already. All the little subtle sensations and feelings that you probably don't notice most of the time because it's hard to pay attention to that stuff when we're drawn outward. In this place, there is vital information. Probably better information than you get from your Apple Watch or whatever tracking device you're using, if you're using one. This is your felt sense. This is where physical experience and emotional experience and and cognitive experience intersect. probably notice that whatever you're noticing actually keeps changing. It's a bit of a moving target. Which is also interesting to note that nothing really is forever. Definitely no feeling. Just take a couple more breaths here. for listening, for tuning into the show, for taking that moment to tune into yourself. I'm really excited to bring in today's guest, and to do that, I will be extremely on brand for the show and play a song that she chose. Um, uh, and yeah, remember to uh, to tweet, tweet at us at radical underscore advice or message on Facebook, or if you know me, you can text me during the show. It's always nice to hear from people who are listening live. All right, here is um, Sweet Honey in the Rock with Give Love.
That's the wrong song. FM. I am Lily Sloan. Joining me here in the studio is Elaine Chan Scherer. Sorry, I didn't give you your mic earlier. <laughs> you just pull it to, towards you just a little bit more. There you go. Thank you for being here. Yeah, it's great to be here. That sounds good. Oh, good. Um, so we just listened to Give Love by Sweet Honey and the Rock which is what you submitted to me for your your song uh, choice. And then you said, you know, I don't actually know this song. <laughs> You're like, I don't listen to music. <laughs> which is refreshing in a way, you know? <laughs> it's different. Although it's not cool. I thought, oh. Well, 
I don't know. I mean, it's so it's so counterculture that maybe it is cool. <laughs> like I don't listen to music. <laughs> I um, you know, when I am home, I need silence. Mm. Maybe because my life is spent listening, or there's so much noise around us that finally, when I'm home. Yeah, I just crave silence. Mm. And so I don't listen to um, music. I enjoy music. Yeah. But I don't listen to music, mm. which, I don't know, like when you want to fit in, it's uh, kind of better to listen to music because then you can talk about the music that you listen to and sound cool. So yeah. I don't know, I have to be kind of uncomfortable. I have to be comfortable with being uncool and admitting that I don't really listen to music. But there's a cool story around it. Yeah. So I have a really good friend, Susanna, who listens to music. <laughs> she, her kids are all musical. She's really musical. She listens to music. So I told her that I needed to come up with a song that represents my view of the world. And so I asked Susanna to tell me what song represents my view of the world. <laughs> so she was, she was, and I said, and I like Sweet Honey in the Rock. Oh, okay, okay. So you are, you picked the band. That's true. I yeah. Picked, I picked the group. And so she was uh, texting me these different songs and I said no 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 and then and then she sent this one along with the video mm -hmm. so for the people who are listening to this it's really the video that got me did you, oh, did you I didn't actually video? watch the video oh, what see the whole the thing deal? is sweet honey in the rock which is this great acapella group they wanted to do something to honor Martin Luther King oh and so the video is all about probably the things that you know uh, we're upsetting for you this weekend, but the video is kind of all about activism and how we give and how we uh, get into that. Um, what is it about Martin Luther King or Gandhi or these mm -hmm. great world leaders mm -hmm. that could lead us out of the despair that these times create? Yeah. And so yeah. the on the video, the video is so cool. There are all these different um, images of Martin Luther King and other things that are kind of, you know, really depressing. Mm. But the message behind it is, you know, how do we get through this? We connect with each other. Mm -hmm. And really it's about giving love, mm. but not love. And people have such a misunderstanding about what love is. People think that love is kind of that romantic, um, you know, feeling thing, mm -hmm. but it really is about, I don't know, how do you look at what's going on around us and how do you allow it to be there and still stay connected to your heart and still mm -hmm. stay connected to that part of you that is able to love and able to give and able to um, love and give to yourself as well. How? Um, <laughs> Give us the answers. <laughs> you know what? So much of it. Um, I take this great yoga class. Mm. There's this woman. Uh, Jennifer Durand. Is yeah, that, you yeah. met Jennifer yeah, Durand. Yeah, I took, I took some private. God, that sounds so bougie. She had a sliding scale. I took some <laughs> private lessons from her for a little while yeah. because you introduced me to That's her. That's right, yeah. the Tea and Yoga Society. And mm -hmm. the cool thing about Jennifer is that she's studied the yoga sutras mm -hmm. so the sutras in sanskrit 
Right. So the yoga sutras are like, you know, thousands of years old, and they're the kind of the philosophy behind yoga, because yoga is not just uh, the bougie thing that people yeah, kind of do yeah. to be cool. <laughs> it really is about how you come to clarity of mind. Mm-hmm. And there are so many of those sutras that have to do with how we how our minds clear. Because the problem, the problem with Trump is that he's really um, he really is able to dig into fear, and he creates all this chaos from fear, right? So these things happen, and he he's a master of distraction. Mm-hmm. There's a book out on Donald Trump and how he's the king of ADHD. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah, I always knew he was like narcissistic personality disorder, but yeah, ADHD yeah. too. And so he he naturally distracts. Yeah, you know he's he's good. It's like at he's that. pulling us all in into an ADHD place. Yeah, which him. we're in already. Yeah. Oh yeah. But the attention deficit hyperactivity disorder for those of you who oh, are not yeah. therapists. Yeah. Um, but. There's a way where something will be happening, and then he will distract, and something will be happening, and then he'll distract. And everybody gets into this um, massive, uh, I'm really into the polyvagal theory now. Do you know the polyvagal Mm, theory? I know about it, but I always just giggle and want to say polyvaginal. (laughs) (laughs) It's probably connected to that. Can you can you say what the polyvagal is? Because yeah, that there's yeah. so the vagus nerve goes from our um, the vagus nerve is the longest nerve in our body. It mm-hmm. goes from our skulls down to our tailbones. Yeah, and this it's called the vagus nerve because V A G is like vagabond. It wanders, oh. and so this nerve goes down, you know, all the way down our back, and then it wanders out throughout our body. And this guy Stephen Porges. P-O-R-G-E-S, came up with this theory about how we, um, how our bodies can sense whether we're safe or we're not safe. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's through these nerve endings. And the interesting thing about it is, you know, when there's trauma and you're triggered by something? Yeah. Or, oh, yes. <laughs> familiar the, with that feeling. So the vagus nerve picks up things that are explicit that we know and are conscious of, but also things that are implicit. We have implicit memories where it can be a smell or it can be a color or something. And then all of a sudden we're triggered. Mm. And then our body goes into, so in the polyvagal theory, there are three different stages. Ventral vagal is where like you and I. These are really fun words. Yeah. (laughs) Ventral vagal. You and I are sitting here relaxed together. Mm-hmm. Um, there's social engagement, mm-hmm. and we feel safe. That that would be the the top of the three uh, stages, or whatever you'd call them. The middle one is the sympathetic nervous system, mm-hmm. which happens automatically. It's part of our autonomic nervous system that you know where you can breathe and your heart beats, and you don't have to do anything to make it happen. somehow our bodies know to do that so the sympathetic nervous system is when we're triggered we there's a danger out there and we get into fight flight freeze Mm -hmm. and um i added a fourth to that which is fuck it it's fight flight freeze or fuck it yeah (laughs) (laughs) although although i would say that might connect to freeze no but i think fuck it is the third 
uh, stage mm. of it, which is dorsal vagal. Oh. Dorsal vagal happens, it's called, they call it feigned death, but they should also call it fuck it. Yeah. Right? Because that's what it is. We're sympathetic nervous system where you're activated, the adrenaline is going, it doesn't work. Yeah. And so the body in protection of the self, the body will go into the fuck it dorsal vagal state. Just kind of shut down. Yeah. And yeah. I guess the extreme of dorsal vagal is when you're really depressed and you can't get out of bed and all yeah. of that. But yeah. each of those stages, the goal isn't to always be in ventral vagal. The goal is to have flexibility between all of those states. Uh, so dorsal yeah. vagal fuck it is not a bad state. It's only a bad state if you try to force yourself out of it. Yeah, yeah. When you're in dorsal vagal, it's kind of like um, a, a, catap a butterfly that gets out of the cocoon mm. and the wings are all shriveled up. And if you, that's a dorsal vagal state and it can naturally unfold and then it'll fly. But if you're in dorsal vagal like that, where you really need to rest and you need to allow that kind of peace and clarity, if you try to help the butterfly to fly by opening up the wings, yeah, it won't fly, right? You're, it'll probably... Oh, yeah. I mean, that's that's so that's so key to, to a lot of what I... I want to come back to this because I realized that we didn't say anything <laughs> about who you are and why you're here. I said your name, but that's about it. So let's cover a little bit of that. We're going to do a listener question in the second half of the show. I want to come back to this because I think I think we've discovered what maybe what our topic is today because I think that um understanding I and I it's at least a theory around the physiology of how we're dealing with all this stress. Right. Is is just so important. I know I need it right now. <laughs> so, yeah. but but I I do want to kind of uh, pause that for a moment and you know and say that, you know, I obviously invited you here because I I know you and you're a therapist and you have a lot of 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 deep knowledge. You've been how how long have you been uh, doing this work? Um, since 1985. Since I was one years old. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Lily. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's a long time. Yeah. Yeah. And your license is LCSW. Mm -hmm. And do you mind clarifying what, what that is for people? Because I, I, you know, so, some of what we do on the show is kind of educate a little bit about the process of therapy. Some people listen have never been before. They might not know what these letters mean. Mm -hmm. I've talked about what MFT is, what a, what a PhD might be like, you know. Mm -hmm. But what 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 does LCSW stand for? And do you feel like that informs your work differently than if you were an MFT or a PhD? Mm -hmm. um, an LCSW is a licensed clinical social worker. And um, so it, if you have a master's in social welfare, then you can go through the whole licensing process and become a therapist and become licensed as a clinical social worker. Mm -hmm. Which means you're doing more of that private practice one-on-one -on -one work as opposed to working in, in a, like a agency setting or... Although so you can. LCSWs can work anywhere. Right. Really, for people who are um, going in, who want to become therapists, the um, I don't know how how much detail you want me to get into about Whatever this, but you want to say. social workers um, can get paid 
while they're getting their licensing hours to right. become therapists and MFTs can't. And I mean, sometimes it's, it, yeah, the whole system's pretty, like we should, because it should be illegal to not pay us. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's like, it's, it, there's more, there's more paid opportunities in, yeah. in your track. Now, yeah. social workers would not um, say that you should go into social work to become a therapist because the whole thing around social welfare is being able to understand systems of people and mm -hmm. to try to advocate for change and to try to uh, heal people in like concrete type of ways. But um, psychiatric social workers and clinical social workers are, uh, I think that how they're different from psychologists or marriage family therapists is that the focus for people who go into social work the focus is really kind of advocacy mm -hmm. or it's kind of looking at um how the person is part of society yeah. or how environmental things affect each person right i think social workers by nature are probably more political than people who are um going the MFT route. Now, I think the training is at least, or the schooling. My my uh, brother's partner is in grad school right now for social work, though she's not, as far as I know, going a clinical route. She's more going the like activism, social advocacy, like mm -hmm. uh, route. Working, to, you know, particular interest around immigration issues, um, mm -hmm. which is just really cool to see her doing. But um, that's what yeah. I was doing too when I started social welfare school. I had no idea what therapy was. And so <laughs> my first year internship was in child protective services. Oh, and yeah. then my second year internship, I wanted, to, somebody told me that you could be a therapist. And so I started going to therapy back then to see what therapy was. And Oh, fascinating. Yeah, yeah. I'd seen this uh, TV show back then, Bob Newhart, and he was a group therapist. Really? Yeah. Oh. It was around the time of Mary Tyler Moore yeah. and all of that. I the Bob that. Newhart show. He was this group therapist. And so there was group therapy huh. every week. So that was my <laughs> image of what a therapist was. That's amazing. <laughs> but th so then, I mean, I was lucky because then I went into my internship doing therapy and I was in therapy myself. And it fit so much better for my personality. Yeah. Well, like you're talking about needing silence, you know, mm -hmm. when you get home. Like it, it sounds like, like I don't think of you as... I think of you as outgoing in, in ways, but also very one-on-one, -on -one, maybe. Mm -hmm. Maybe you're needing more of that, like, kind of deep, intimate space as opposed to big, you know, just, like, kind of the noise of everything that it might be like if you were doing more more of the out-in-the-world advocacy kind of thing. The, um. Although there's a part of me that loves that yeah. out in the world advocacy. Yeah. And I remember um, I, I'm 60 now. And so I was like in my 20s after the civil rights movement. Mm -hmm. And I was I always regretted like not being part of that civil rights movement because <laughs> it really I love that advocacy so it's kind yeah. of ironic that now we're in an era where life is calling for us to be advocates or life is calling for us to be activated yeah yeah 
Right. And do you feel, do you feel like you have space for that? Or do you feel like you're focusing that more in your clinical work? My perspective has changed. Mm. Kind of like how I can admit now that I don't listen to music. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I really think that activism, we have this kind of collective consciousness that activism looks a certain way. Right, right. And that I, I think really it's so important to find the ways that we are, we can activate ourselves that are, that fit with who we are. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what? That has to, oh, did I already introduce myself? I guess so, huh? Go. Because I want to go back to the polyvagal theory. Yeah, yeah. Because that has to do with that sympathetic nervous system activation. Part of what's happening is out there, there are things that get us activated. We feel unsafe. It's lightning quick in our minds. And then all of a sudden, the adrenaline's going, our hearts are beating, and we're in that fight, flight, freeze state. Yeah. And the way, what's so important to do when you're in that state is to use that adrenaline in an action, to, to use that adrenaline and, uh, you know, it's, an, it's a really activating kind of energy, right? To use it and then to take some kind of action. So whether it's that you're marching in the streets or calling people or even um, journaling, Mm -hmm. Right, moving that energy through you and journaling so you can write about what it is that you're thinking and feeling and what it's bringing up in you. Uh, because if you move that through you, then it's out there and you can see it and do something with that. And the problem is that when we can't think of what action to take, then the body keeps coursing that adrenaline and then it goes into the dorsal vagal fuck it state mm -hmm, mm -hmm. To, to protect you because it's like too much. It's too much energy that's uh, yeah. flowing through you. So yeah. thank goodness for those states. And then when you're in the dorsal vagal state, it's really important to rest. Right, right. It's important to rest to allow the mind to rest because then, oh, another thing about the polyvagal theory is it's hierarchical. So to get out of dorsal vagal, you have to go through sympathetic nervous system. Oh, you can't skip. No, you can't skip. In fact, people who skip, that's like a spiritual bypass, right? Right. It's la yeah. la land. Yeah. But but when you're in dorsal vagal, if you allow enough rest, what you'll feel is that energy is going to bubble up. And without that kind of sympathetic nervous system, adrenaline just rushing all the time, you can think a little more clearly. And then the next step becomes more evident. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So for you, the next step, from this weekend, hopefully you got some rest, and then the next step could be, oh, I'm going to do my radio show yeah. on Tuesday. Yeah, right, totally. And that 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 you're doing this radio show is a form of activism. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, rest. Yeah, <laughs> figuring out when and how much to rest is 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 in it in and of itself quite a task when the world is always demanding. Mm -hmm. your attention and like your efforts and and knowing that you know we are limited is can be hard when when things feel so urgent in a lot of ways and so I think that is a really good reminder that it might be inconvenient that we have to rest but it doesn't change that we have to rest mm -hmm. that it's just like too bad <laughs> you know it's easier when you when you're physically sick to say oh okay like I have to 
now I have the flu. I have to do, I have to stay home and I can't really deal with these other things. There, there's something very tangible about that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's harder for people to really give themselves that space and acknowledgement when it's emotional. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, right. Like with mental health. And, totally. Right? Totally. With, with yeah. therapy that if you can see it, then everybody has sympathy. But if it's not something that's concrete, yeah, that people think you're fine. And right. we all fake it too, right? Very true. Yeah. Yeah. We'll go out and put on a smile or we'll go out and look like we're good when inside we know we're not. Yeah. Well, um, we're going to take a song break and come back to a listener question. And then we'll get back to this topic uh, a little bit later in the show. But um, I want to play a song by a band, uh, a local local group from Oakland who played it. We uh, had our final Mush uh, concert last Thursday, which is our um, summer concert series at Jack London Square. I featured local bands mostly from the East Bay and Bell's Atlas played and they're just they're just really wonderful and so I wanted to play one of their songs um but yeah keep listening uh we're gonna do some listener questions here and keep talking about survival <laughs> um you are listening to bff.fm keep listening BFF.FM, best frequencies forever. Bringing the underground to the foreground. Once again, if this was leading to side, I could. What? And that's what we did. Cause we feel like we're close in the city What? Dream of forever Even this need you decide I took it What? And as we see I can't believe it, 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 I can
advice on bff.fm that was the kamsa by bell's atlas from their latest uh album the mystic they are a local band definitely recommend checking them out um so nice seeing them live last week um so i'm here in the studio talking to elaine chancher and uh who is a licensed clinical social worker in san francisco and um we're going to do a listener question now. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. I mean, you can only be as ready as you are. You don't know what the question is. But, um, I don't I don't give the questions to people ahead of time usually. So that there's not like a research possibility. We just kind of sit with it together and have an exploration of, of you know, how we might respond to this person. So um, here is a question about social anxiety are you mm-hmm. okay so um this person writes is post social anxiety a thing i don't have any issues talking to people and even have a tendency of speaking my mind with no issue but when the day is over my mind can't help but replay all the conversations i get stuck on all the parts of my com- Uh, replay all the conversations and I get stuck on all the parts of my conversation I could do better to the point I can't sleep because I feel like I messed up I mean that's definitely a thing Mm -hmm. I've experienced that quite a bit Mm -hmm. myself Mm -hmm. but I don't Mm -hmm. do we have a different word for that like you You know know what so in the polyvagal theory yeah let's let's go with this this is a great example (laughs) So it's about what triggers that sympathetic nervous system response. Mm-hmm. So for this person, speaking in front of other people is a ventral vagal activity. They can talk and say whatever they want to say. But yeah. then when they go home at night, something is triggering that sympathetic nervous system. Something is saying, wait, you're not safe. And uh-huh. it could be that, I don't know who this person is, but it could be that in their childhood, home was not a safe place or they got criticized a lot mm-hmm. or um, in their family, they could have gone out to parties or whatever and spoken their mind. And then when they got home, they got criticized or punished or mm-hmm. whatever, mm-hmm. right? Like that's one scenario that could make it understandable. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then what happens, it's very interesting when the... so. When the vagus nerve says, you're not safe, then it triggers the, oh, I'm going to get all these brain parts wrong, the amygdala that will say, danger, 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 the Mm -hmm. alarm bells go off, and then the adrenaline gets going, and the cortisol gets going, and then Mm -hmm. uh, pretty soon your, your mind is thinking, 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 and you can't get mad at your mind because your mind is made to think. Right. So you add some adrenaline to that brain of ours, and then it's going to think, 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 think. The problem is that then, even though the activity is already over, your brain is re-stimulating 
danger, danger, danger signals over and over and over again. Right, right. Right, get it? And so then you're awake at night. Yeah, you're just caught in a loop. So if we make it physiological, with which it is, it's that, oh, your vagus nerve is like saying sympathetic nervous system, fight, fight, freeze. Actually, you're safe. So for this person, whoever, whoever it is who wrote the question, that the part of part of what they need to look at is how to calm down the vagus nerve how to get the how to give messages that oh whatever you thought that was wrong it's over now Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and breathing really helps there's all these different kinds of um breathing techniques that help to calm down the vagus nerve i think the one that stephen porges uses is four seven eight breathing where you Breathe in for a count of four, hold the breath for a count of seven, and breathe out for a count of eight. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. My um, Jennifer Durand, my yoga teacher who understands the sutras, um, has said that her um, her teacher, her teacher's teacher, uh, Desikachar, he used to say that eight breaths is all it takes to be able to reset the mind. Well... Maybe he hasn't seen my mind. Well, you know what? No, it's it's <laughs> my about, special mind. <laughs> yeah, it's about eight conscious breaths. So. Uh huh. Right. 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 It's about if if you can, because um, usually what will happen is we get distracted. Yeah. That's why the counting helps. Right. Yeah. The counting. Well, and sometimes I lose track while I'm counting, so I have to like come back to it and try again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, too bad people can't see because there's this thing you can do with your fingers. Oh yeah, yeah. I've can, done that. Yeah. yeah where you You're where you can of... keep track of it. Right. And I think part of the reason that works is the counting is left brain, and the you know breathing stuff probably is right brain, hmm. and it yeah. helps that bilateral type of uh-huh, uh-huh. stimulation is like the EMDR stuff is yeah. doing that yeah yeah well I mean thinking about when I'm really anxious and obsessing about mm-hmm. things mm-hmm. um it's interesting kind of bringing that into the polyvagal theory and you're talking about the necessity to go into that you know dors- the dorsal vagals the the, the rest the like Mm-hmm. No, or, it's not to go into dorsal vagal. It's that if if you're not able to find some action in sympathetic nervous system that will help to yeah. bring you back to ventral vagal, that your body is going to go into dorsal vagal. Well, does that connect then to how I usually, when I am really anxious, the easiest, the it's not easy, but the most effective way out of it for me is to actually break down and kind of get into more of a grief place like a more kind of depressive place but like finally like there's a letting go in that there's like um there's a being like finally accepting my powerlessness in the situation or something and and just crying or like collapsing a bit is even though I'm sort of like afraid of that place that's actually where then I finally calm down Oh, see, that's interesting. Like, I have to break down, and then I'll be fine. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Then you're using that dorsal vagal state effectively. (laughs) That in the dorsal vagal state... I'm so good at it. Yeah. (laughs) That you're... When you find yourself in that dorsal vagal state, like, crying and tears are so helpful, right? It's moving something through you. Exactly. But you're, like, one of the most... 
activated people I know in terms of how you um, put yourself out there in the world, how you take action in the world. And we could say then that because of the, um, in the dorsal vagal state that you don't resist it and you allow yourself to cry and mm. all of that, that gradually then what happens is you get back into whatever state it is where you're able to do this radio show or where mm -hmm. you're able to build websites or do music or do therapy and yeah I, I mean I yeah I usually have to break down and then I can come to a more clear decision about an action to take mm -hmm. because before the breakdown it's just the chaos ADD like Trump ADD place mm -hmm. you know where it's mm -hmm. like um, everything feels like it's coming at me and I can't think clearly mm -hmm. about what to do. Mm -hmm. And often the inner critic is like on fire, mm -hmm. just like bombarding me mm -hmm. with shit. Right. And so when I finally break down, it actually quiets everything. Mm -hmm. And I go into this, this quieter, more actually eventually self-loving place. Mm -hmm. And then I can be like, accepting of reality mm -hmm. and from there make a choice about a step to take oh look at so you're the poster child for how the polyvagal theory i mean can work now you know <laughs> if so, only i could move through it all faster well that's the thing right <laughs> like that's what um any number of modalities of either personal growth type of work yeah that what we look for is efficiency that the way that most people do it is habitual. Yeah. Our bodies work that way. And it's habitual, we get into these habitual states, but the training or how we can train our minds is how to more quickly um, pendulate between those states instead of being stuck in a state for a long time right. or instead of wasting a lot of energy in a certain state for a long time. Mm -hmm. And like you're saying, it's not about forcing a quick move it's about the through practice and through you know learning how to work with ourselves it just becomes faster on its own yeah it, it really is like mind training yeah. Right? yeah it's it's understanding your body understanding why your body is reacting the way that it is yeah um so much of the work is around if you understand that then it helps with the critic that yeah. you're talking about right? yeah. yeah if you understand that oh body okay you're reacting in this way that the vagus nerve is telling mm -hmm. me this and this and this and this okay now we um uh time for rest right yeah i mean the inner critic is is totally the the fear orientation which trump is really good at yeah, Yay, yeah. getting us back around to trump yeah but that's what he does it trump gets our country in a sympathetic nervous system activated state yeah and so whether it his whole constituency they're in sympathetic nervous system oh my god we gotta you know fight against these people yeah. and then the whole other side is also in sympathetic nervous system oh no 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 look what he's doing yeah well and and i think i think this is helpful to me because there and i know we're we're we always veer a little from the question we'll come back to it but um I think my fear when people talk about not getting caught up in his in his chaos and fear sowing is that <clears throat> sometimes that there can be a bypassing that happens with that where people are like, oh, he's just 
he's just doing this. Let's just ignore him, you know, like, which I don't think is right either. But it's more like, how do we respond in, in a way where we're taking care of those parts of ourselves so that we can respond more calmly mm-hmm. and like from from a but but the fear and the anger and all of that is very legitimate and we do want to protect people who are vulnerable and and actually at risk right now mm-hmm. um but sometimes I hear from people who are very privileged a sort of like oh just ignore him he's just being a idiot kind of thing and I'm like yeah but it's also serious. Mm-hmm. And so looking at it through this lens, we can kind of make space for action. It's mm-hmm. not about not taking action and just rising above it and just not engaging. But how do we engage in a way that isn't uh, completely succumbing to his thing? Yeah, you know what? The So that song that Susanna mm-hmm. chose for me, mm-hmm that's connected to Martin Luther King. Yeah. Is it, he wasn't, you know, it's, the song's called Give Love, but right. the whole thing was like Martin Luther King took action. Right. His, his thing was love in action. That what is the, what action do we take out of love? And can, oh, we are talking politics, right? Can I tell you what presidential candidate I'm kind of into now or better not? Well, you can, yeah. <laughs> I know who it is, and I have my own feelings about it, but also I understand from this perspective why you feel yeah. this way. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. From, th- from this perspective, I'm fascinated by Marianne Williamson's candidacy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Everybody says she's, you know, I've read articles that are so insulting of her, but really if you listen to what she's saying, it's about that, that mm-hmm. Trump is activating hate in us, and that Martin Luther King and other uh, more um, people who were able to lead and inspire groups based on love can activate from a different perspective. Yeah. And that's what the whole ventral vagal state is actually. It is, it's, you know, at its core, it's about love. How do you stay in that state of connection with mm-hmm. each other, at mm-hmm. being able to see clearly what's really going on, at being relaxed? At mm-hmm. being in the flow. Everybody's experienced that. Yeah. Well, and just thinking about system, you know, you're talking about social work. It's like there's systems thinking and there's, you know, individual thinking. And, and I've talked a lot on the show about how um, psychotherapy classically, especially, it, yeah, has been too much about the individual and not really taking systems and culture and mm-hmm. and all that into consideration as much and but you know what now I, if i if we look at the polyvagal theory i understand that it's because people come to us in a sympathetic nervous system state mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and social engagement being able to be in groups and take your place in groups is a ventral vagal mm-hmm, type of mm-hmm, activity mm-hmm. you have to be deactivated in terms of that adrenaline but running through you and But enough. we can't do it ourselves. Like the, like the thing is, is that what if our society was trying to provide people with the resources that they could be more in a ventral vagal place by, you know, basic needs being met, you know, like having health care and have you know, and reducing, you know, and like addressing racism and inequality and all of those things help from a societal level are about making us feel taken care of Mm -hmm. and like our needs will be met. So the the last time in our society, you know, the whole um, uh, 
uh, 60s and 70s time. Mm-hmm. This whole thing with, it, it was very interesting when you asked me to choose a song and I didn't have a song. Because in the 60s and 70s, everybody had common songs. Mm. People were singing these songs together around hope and around, you know, love and connection and, you know, all feelings, right? Mm -hmm. Grief and everything. But people had common songs that they could sing together. And singing is a ventral activity. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. there's something about taking the actions that we need to take politically to get people fed and clothed and safe. Yeah. and all of that, and taking it from the sense that we're all in this together and we're all working together to try to change things and we're all um, connected yeah. in this way. And you can do that from fear and or you can do that from love. Yeah. And I think in the 60s and 70s, they were uh, there was this, whole connection then although I gotta say like the baby boomers got us into this situation now so <laughs> are you we, we are you singing. a baby boomer I'm the technically I'm you're like technically a very baby end. boomer but I wasn't like you're like but I'm not one of those kinds <laughs> <laughs> no I I take responsibility I am <laughs> there's something about my generation and above where there was all this idealism but then it led to this I think what happened is that people stopped being activated Mm, right in the 60s comfy or something yeah that we got too comfy that Mm. could have been what happened with obama in a way that people got too comfy Mm. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah well so kind of to circle back to the original question um about laying there at night after social experiences obsessing i think you know i think we're talking about using this knowledge of the the nervous system to kind of help with the 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 process of calming using breath all of that i also wonder if um and like and like you're saying hey maybe there's a reason why this particular thing gets activated at a particular point in in time i i would be curious i would i would want the person to also pay attention to what they're feeling while they're socializing because i because maybe they aren't as calm as, you know, I know that I am very outgoing and opinionated, but sometimes there's an anxiety activating me in social situations that I'm not always fully, that makes me more outgoing Mm -hmm. in a way, but I'm not fully aware of the fact that maybe I'm starting to get a little anxious. Mm -hmm. And then later I might be like, wow, what was I why was I do I didn't need to do that (laughs) or you know Mm -hmm. and so there's a little there's a little bit of that too that's a possibility oh that's interesting because part of the for me part of sympathetic nervous system is also tend and befriend right have you Mm -hmm. heard of that I have but I forget what that is so tend and befriend I felt this when I was in the hospital that Mm -hmm. I was because I was sympathetic nervous system I was activated yeah and what I would do wasn't fight, flight, freeze. It was tend and befriend. They say that women do that more. And so oh, it's connecting with people. It's uh-huh. talking with people. It's <coughs> As a defense. Yeah, that it's actually a sympathetic nervous system uh-huh. type of defense to help um, channel that energy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I can see that that's probably part of it. And there's also... Some of it, too, that's a um, what gets activated for me in social situations can sometimes be around um, growing up in a kind of chaotic 
environment and feeling like I, I like people in my family responded into, you know, some people just got quiet, you know, and I responded by like fighting for attention. Mm -hmm. But either way, it's sort of a defensive like response to the environment. Mm -hmm. And so. And, And you know what, in my um, in keeping with the song about giving love, I would say then that when we're lying there at night and our minds are overactivated and we're uh, playing over and over and over again what we did wrong or Mm -hmm. whatever, that that's the time to give love. Yeah, That's the time to be able to um, say, oh, you're you're feeling so, you care so much. You really, really wanted to, come across well or you're Mm -hmm. really worried about this and that and to um I don't know have compassion yeah really what's behind that is that you care so much yeah I think um one and one of the things that helps me get to a more compassionate place is to acknowledge that my inner critic is there that oh this like when I catch that I'm in that thought cycle I go oh my inner critic's kind of taken over and and even just naming it can reduce a little bit of its power and intensity mm-hmm. to just even be able to say oh this isn't like all of me this is a part of me that's kind of taken the reins right now mm-hmm. and and then I can respond to it in whatever way feels appropriate at the time I mean we've talked I know <laughs> we've 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 disagreed about this yeah. in the past, but just how do you deal with the inner critic? Right. And and I think, you know, for for me, sometimes sometimes it's it's kind of an immediate like, oh, you're feeling afraid, and your inner and you know the inner critic is coming in to like take control, and it's and it hurts. It's saying hurtful things. Um, sometimes it's like that. Sometimes I have to be like you are banished from my head right now, you monster, because you are so cruel and this is completely inappropriate Mm -hmm. what you're saying to me right now. Like, Mm -hmm. what you're saying to me right now is unacceptable behavior. Like, Mm -hmm. get out. Um, Mm -hmm. And then I can, you know, hug the, like, child that's being hurt by it, you know? Mm -hmm. But either way, it's sort of all the same thing. It's like, do we do we do something about setting a boundary with the part that's being mean to us? Do we do something about hugging and loving the part that's being, that's being hurt by that? You know, it's whatever, it's kind of like whatever way in. And that's why therapy cannot be done over the radio. Right. 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 That we get there, but it takes, it takes um, vulnerability. It takes safety to be able to peel away all those layers and to see, Oh, what's going on here? What could be here? What could be here? What could be here? And knowing, knowing through a relationship with a therapist, getting to learn about what, what is your specific version of this like? Mm -hmm. And then from there kind of venting with what kinds of ways of intervening with it are actually going to resonate, like what metaphors are going to resonate, what, what ways of like framing it are going to work because it's going to be different for different people. You know, I, um, it's always so interesting talking with you because this makes me think that the reason that there are so many self-help books out there mm-hmm. is because people want to make money. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not just about reading a self-help book. It it really is about having some kind of ventral vagal 
relationship with someone so that your vagus nerve can feel safe or yeah so that yeah. you can calm down enough to or it's not even calm down it's um i don't know get into a a space of safety enough where you can actually hear and process uh the things that we talk about in therapy yeah and where they can be integrated yeah that right. that that's really we're such complex people our brains work so complicatedly and so quickly we outsmart ourselves all the time totally right and so it really takes um that spaciousness and developing trust and finding a place or a person that you can really settle in and breathe with where those more vulnerable parts that we have to protect all the time yeah that they can see the light of day right and then the in the way that I work, then when we meet those places with love, when we meet those places with compassion, then they don't have to defend as much. Right. Well, that's a really beautiful way to wrap up that part of the conversation. We're gonna take a song break and come back and talk some more. Okay. So um, I, uh, just sharing a little bit of newer music today. Um, I listened to the new Bonifer album, which I like. I don't like everything on it, but I like things on it. And I'm going to share one of those songs today. Um, so this one is Naeem. I, I guess it's pronounced Naeem. It's N-A-E-E-M from Bonnevere. You are listening to Radical Advice on BFF.FM. BFF.FM. Best frequencies forever. I can hear, I can hear, I can hear, I can hear crying. 
Ann Williamson's really into that. <laughs> <laughs> you are listening to Radical Advice on BFF.fm. I am your host, Lily Sloan. I'm here in the studio with Elaine Chan Scherer. We just heard Naeem by Bonnever from his latest album. Again, he's really going for it with the names. The album is I, comma, I, all lowercase. <laughs> Who knows what it means? But, um... That's not what we're here to discuss. <laughs> so, so Elaine, one one context of us knowing each other that we haven't talked about yet is that you were one of my supervisors when I was in training to be a therapist. So this was in 2012. Oh, was wow. when I started at um, California Counseling Institute, which is now transformed from that to a group practice, right? So now it's... 4614 California but it's still a lot of the same people right? yeah it's more of a collective or a collective a private practitioners mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 4614com that's right oh I made that website oh <laughs> <laughs> yeah we still use it thank you Lily you're welcome <laughs> um yeah so I I I had finished school and but I had done my initial internship while I was in school at a hospital I didn't have like clients to take with me anywhere finding the right internship was stuff we talked about how hard it is to in the internship process to to get paid um but yeah uh California Counseling Institute 
was the place that I just happened upon. It wasn't actually very known in like in my circles in terms of internship opportunities. And you all took took me under your wing. <laughs> and yeah, you were my supervisor for I think I was there almost two years mm-hmm. before I went to my private practice internship. Mm-hmm. But um yeah, it was yeah, it was a really important part of my training to be there and to get support from you and have these kinds of discussions with you. Mm-hmm. How do you think that I've grown since then? <laughs> you amaze me. <laughs> That's really. Yeah, I don't. I don't well, yeah. no, the, um, and it fits with the polyvagal theory thing too. <laughs> and how do we use? Uh, how do we? Um, use that activation within us? How do we use our adrenaline to create things in the world? Mm-hmm. And um, my perspective it really is like that song. Thank you, Susanna. It's really about giving love. How do you give love out into the world? Mm-hmm. And so this radio broadcast, for in- instance, my definition of love, this is one aspect of giving love that you give that part of you that helps to connect people, that helps to um, uh, bring up ideas, it helps to move further our thinking or our feeling or mm-hmm. whatever that your radio show is not just uh, like radio that I used to listen to growing up. <laughs> You're listening to yeah. it now. <laughs> um, well, so in terms of supervision and, and what that looks like, you know, I'm now... I've now been licensed, I mean, an, I've been licensed already a couple years longer than I needed to be to become a supervisor. Like, I could I could become a supervisor myself now, mm-hmm. which is so weird to me. Um, however, I, when, I, when I get in that place of thinking, oh, what could I, you know, I'm, I'm not experienced enough, you know. But I, I realize that there's, there's pros and cons, right? Like, for me, I could probably offer perspective on the process as it is now because I did it very recently and uh, in terms of just building a practice and and starting starting off and having a website and dealing with social media and like all these aspects of being a therapist now um, that I could bring to a to a new therapist who's who's just starting who's just like five years behind me you know but you have this like decade these decades of experience in doing the clinical work and 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 you know sitting with people and i wonder like from that vantage point what what it's like to sit with a new therapist who's just starting out and trying to figure out how to do it mm-hmm. how to be with people in this way uh-huh. uh man i sound like a like a convert I'm really into the polyvagal theory (laughs) because I think that it's about being in a ventral vagal state doesn't matter what you know or the best therapists are ones who are able to be um, relaxed enough and clear enough and to have a body of knowledge Mm -hmm. but to be able to use it in a way that's um, appropriate for the situation right it really is about being with somebody and and helping the defenses to relax enough so that you can get in there to the 
true essence of the person. Mm. I mean, the the supervision thing is a little, you know, sometimes for people who aren't in the therapy world, I, I kind of clarify that being supervised doesn't mean somebody's watching my sessions, mm-hmm. which makes sense. That would kind of be weird to have. I, some Sometimes you're, you, vid, you know, you videotape or record mm-hmm. a session for, you know, for feedback, but mostly you're still on your own, but you're going then, you know and talking to your supervisor about your cases and kind of unpacking the challenges you're having and checking in, um, making sure you're covering your ethical bases. But since you're not in the room, since you weren't in the room with me when I was doing the work with clients, I wonder how you knew that I was not hurting anybody. I wasn't making them worse, you know, or that, that like, that, you know, people's lives in, in some sense were being put in my hands. And actually, sometimes when you're an intern and you're seeing people at very low fees, mm-hmm. sometimes you get people who are even more vulnerable because, mm-hmm. you know, like that's, you know, who ends up needing those low, very low fee services and, um, the most vulnerable being matched up with the new, you know, the most vulnerable therapists, you know, the newest mm-hmm. therapists. And mm-hmm. and I just wonder how you as a supervisor could know, like, what helped you know that you, their clients were in good enough hands, mm-hmm. you know? You know what? That has to do with building enough trust between the supervisor and the intern mm-hmm. so that if something came up, that was um, that didn't feel right. That the intern would feel safe enough and to reveal their vulnerability uh-huh. to to talk or ask about what they didn't know. Yeah, yeah. And have you had such? I mean, maybe you don't want to say on the radio. I just wonder if you've had situations where you were like feeling unsure, unsafe about about something that you know, you, you couldn't actually be in the room to, to witness. Never with you. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> great. <laughs> but you know what? It, we have, um, as supervisors, we had case, we, we would consult with each other. And uh-huh. sometimes there would be situations that came up. But usually those situations come up when people are not vulnerable and when they feel like they know everything. Right. That's yeah. more. That's more when you need intervention when somebody feels too sure of what they're doing totally yeah I mean I can I you know I continued with consultate like getting consultation after I didn't legally need to have a supervisor anymore mm-hmm. and um I actually my my preferred method in terms of affordability and actually even format was group mm-hmm. um consultation because you get so many different perspectives and we're all learning through teaching each other and mm-hmm. Um, I really like that a lot, but um, and because I kind of had to choose one or the other, that was my my choice. But I I know like when something came up where I felt like um, this like things where I worried that people would maybe judge me as a therapist for a response I had to a client or for a, even thoughts I was having about a particular client. Every time. I, I always would share it 
because it was a group I felt very safe in. Mm -hmm. And I know when you were my supervisor, I always felt safe to share whatever. Mm -hmm. There was nothing I remember holding back about. I never, I never felt shamed or bad or like, and it was usually like, so like, that's normal. So, so good that you shared that, you know, that totally comes up like, oh, I've been there too. And I worry about therapists also who don't who don't have spaces to to open up. I don't know if you ever watched the show In Treatment. Oh, I think I did. Yeah, I didn't watch all of it, but I watched the first couple seasons. And one of the things about this therapist was that he was kind of narcissistic and and I think couldn't and, and too isolated mm-hmm. and kind of thought he was so smart, you know, <laughs> and knew what he was doing and it got him into trouble. Mm-hmm. And you hear that about therapists who get into trouble, like have an affair with a client or whatever. That it's part of it is that over maybe overconfidence and being too isolated in their work, mm-hmm. so they're not double checking themselves. Yeah, because being sitting with clients brings up a lot of personal things too. Yeah. 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 I wonder. Um, you know, I. I'm just reminded now of the, this is the time that um, the the bomb squad shut down the block. Do you remember that you weren't, it was a Saturday. Oh, I heard about it. (laughs) But uh, that was one of those things where it's like, okay, well, A, you're having to deal with the question of if this weird device that the client found on the street on the way in is actually something dangerous. Um, but on top of it, deal clinically with what it's like to be having a session based around this, where together we called, you know, the police and they shut down the entire block and evacuated (laughs) everyone. (laughs) It's just like, well, is that part of the therapy? I don't know. I think everything is part of therapy. Yeah. That's part of what I love about being a therapist even in terms of making mistakes Mm -hmm, as mm -hmm. long as you're as long as you can take responsibility for whatever feels like a mistake to you then there's something to talk about or then there's something to walk around because we're not this thing with being in these human bodies is a then we're not perfect right right and the people who think that they're perfect like you know who (laughs) <laughs> the that there's all sorts that wreaks havoc right because actually we're not perfect and right. so even your question with uh becoming a supervisor if you're if you only have two years of experience instead of 30 years of experience well i would say the same thing about how did you how did you ever start this radio show because you don't have 30 years of experience that's true i mean i have 35 years experience of talking Mm-hmm. I, well, maybe 34. I, but then you know. that's what we would look at with supervising, too. Right. The, right. You don't have 30 years of supervising, but you have thirty year, 35 years of talking, or you have 35 <laughs> years of sitting with people, or 35 years right. of, you know, talking to your younger sibling. or mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. You bring a lot of different kinds of experience to the table. Yeah. And we're never perfect. Right. 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 One, well, I think what you're saying is like when when we think about narcissism and how that can that can appear as, you know, thinking that 
you're perfect and don't make mistakes. Really, that's somebody being terrified of exposing that they might not be perfect. Mm -hmm. And so if I'm, if I'm, if my ego is too caught up in appearing perfect and I'm terrified of exposing my imperfections, I'm not going to be as honest Mm -hmm. in consultation or with a supervisor Mm -hmm. about where, where I'm not sure what I'm doing. Yeah. 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 And I guess, you know, part of why I asked about this is because I like to remind listeners and encourage listeners that if they think they can't afford therapy, that there's a lot of sliding scale income-based options in this city that are probably with someone who's Mm pre-licensed and receiving supervision. And my own therapist, I started seeing before she was licensed. Mm -hmm. Oh, me too. Oh, yeah. Amazing. Yeah. It was a little weird because I was already licensed when I started seeing her, but it didn't matter. It was the right fit Mm -hmm. and it was what I could afford. Mm -hmm. And she's been the the right therapist for me and, and she's been great. And it doesn't matter that she hasn't been a therapist for 30 years. Like that's okay Mm -hmm. because it's the right fit. Yeah. And the, I don't know, we live for as long as we live and that we get different things at different points in our life. Right. Right. So maybe the therapist that you had when you were 20 is going to be not a good fit for you when you're 50. Right. Right. Totally. Yeah. I mean, it was interesting to notice how actually going from having therapists that were more like I could have that like mothering from a little bit or that like mother transference Mm -hmm. um, to actually working with a therapist who's a peer Mm -hmm. was really interesting Mm. and I get a very different thing out of it Mm. because I think she and I are about the same age and you know similar places career-wise and all of that yeah 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 I think we get different any situation you go into you you can get something out of it and so much of it has to deal with your mind and if your mind is closed off to seeing what's really in front of you mm-hmm. right that we um the more rigid we are inside we project that out onto other people and so there could be someone sitting there who has something to offer you but you can't see it because you're so closed off yourself yeah, yeah i feel that plenty of the time yeah yeah we're human yeah so that's part of what happens yeah for sure yeah that we get into judgment and when when we get into judgment about other people then of course our internal critic is going to be very judgmental Mm -hmm. Mm mm-hmm oh yes (laughs) and that's the song give love right? right that part of it is that when we get into judgment about other people like that therapist is too young for me or whatever it's to hopefully you have a trusting enough relationship with that therapist where you can say you know what I think you're too young for me and then that they're open enough and not defensive enough to be able to explore that right to be able to look at oh really what are your what are your thoughts about being young or being old especially if you're the same age yeah how does it feel for you to be this age well, and that's something, it's come up a lot on the show because people people do frequently write in questions about therapy, about mm. like, oh, this happened in therapy, what do I do? And usually mm. the answer is talk to your therapist about it. That's amazing. Like that's going to mm-hmm. be good stuff. 
occasionally I get a follow up from someone that's I talked to my therapist about it and it didn't go very well because for whatever reason, at least in in their experience, their therapist ended up being a little bit defensive or not, mm-hmm. you know, and that happens because therapists are human beings. Mm-hmm. However, I find that most of the time I'm able to and I think most of my colleagues are able to respond non-defensively to things like that in sessions even Mm -hmm. if in real in like not real even if in our other relationships in life we might get defensive sometimes Mm -hmm. when we're wearing our therapist hat that's that's kind of the job Mm -hmm. and it's Mm -hmm. it it and it actually feels really good Mm -hmm. to be able to hear those concerns or that feedback and 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 listen and create space for that Mm -hmm. and make sure that they really feel validated and sharing what was on their mind Mm -hmm. because that's what we're here to do yeah and that um therapy is such a weird relationship because the therapist has so much more power Mm -hmm. than the client Mm -hmm. and but then that recreates you know the child parent type of relationship when parents have so much power over the kids yeah and if a therapist makes a mistake which could be like I didn't really understand what you were saying or I wasn't really, you feel like I don't really get you. Yeah. And if the client's able to go back to the therapist and say, you know what, you didn't really get me. And if the therapist is able to take responsibility for that, that's so healing because usually what happens to us as kids is our parents for in one of the million times that they have to interact with us do not take responsibility for some mistake that they made and then that creates shame in the child right right because a child needs to make sense of their world and they're dependent on the parents and so if the parent is saying no it's your fault it's your fault it's your Mm -hmm. fault even though it's not the kid's fault the kid will have to say oh yeah you're right it's my fault yep and you internalize that that story that something's wrong with me yeah when things then in the future when things go wrong in other relationships it it was probably me it was probably my fault Mm -hmm. yeah well, we're going to do another listener question today. So mm-hmm. I'm going to put on another song and we'll come back to that in a Great. moment. Um, I am going to play another newer song. Uh, I haven't listened to other stuff from this artist, but I really liked this song. For, it's an, I think it's a single from an upcoming album. The artist is Becky Ninko, Ninkovic and the song is The Carrier. You are listening to BFF. Dot FM, best frequencies forever. I am Lily Sloan, your host until noon today. BFF.FM, best frequencies forever. I will not carry your pain anymore. Cut like a knife, like a two edged sword. Divide, divide. Mine from yours, divide, divide, mine from yours. I will not carry your pain anymore. Cut like a knife, like a two-edged sword. Divide, divide, mine from yours. Divide, divide, mine from yours. Mine from yours, divide, divide, mine from yours. 
from yours. Cut, cut, divide, divide. Cut, cut, cut the cord. Cut, cut, divide, divide. Cut, cut, with a two-edged sword. Cut, cut, divide, divide.
back on. I like that our conversations just yeah. spill, <laughs> spill in. You're listening to BFF.FM. Uh, this is Radical Advice. We actually just heard two songs um, because one bled into the next. Uh, that was All Mirrors, which is a new single from Angel Olsen, which is I love. I love it so much. I like Angel Olsen quite a bit, but I love this new direction she's taken, all the drama. And before that was The Carrier by Becky Ninkovic, uh, also a new single, The Carrier. So both of these artists will have full albums coming out soon, I presume. Um, I'm here with Elaine Chan-Share. We have been talking about all kinds of interesting things, wrapping them back to the polyvagal theory, which I think people, you know, I think you've done a really good job explaining it. And I also think it's the kind of thing that we need, like, to also take in in different ways. And and I'm sure if you Google it, you will find interesting breakdown of, of what what that is. And of course, it's a theory like these, you know, there's so much about the body and the mind that we it's really hard to know, but it's a really useful way of thinking about what's happening mm-hmm. inside of us. Um, and there's, you know, more and more we're able to bring in. It's like this, the soft science of our work is is hardening a little bit mm. <laughs> over time mm. in terms of how much we can connect what we've been talking about in psychology and psychotherapy for years to what's observable with you know, in scientific instruments. Mm-hmm. And so. Yeah, I think the advances in neuroscience have made such a huge difference. In, yeah. It, you know what it does? It takes away the shame. Yeah. It yeah. takes away the shame of how we respond as humans. Right, Because right. we're so self-referential. We think it's all about us and we're so bad and all of this. But if if we look at it and say, no, look at this is happening in your body. Yeah. Or this is a neural pathway that is you know, gone over and over and over and over. So of course you're going to respond that way. We, we respond habitually. Right. Well, we're going to do another listener question. Okay. Um, so this one's a little more general, but I, I like the idea of doing it with you because we have, uh, because of our um, generational difference, um, we'll have different things to say about this. But mm-hmm. um This person writes, what do you tell young people trying to figure out what to do with their lives? This was one of the hardest life questions I ever had to answer. For me, it turned out to be try a lot of things and be patient. You'll know when you know. So part of also why I wanted to do this question with you is I'm like, I don't know. Aren't I young people? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what I'm doing with my life. (laughs) (laughs) I know that's relative, but, you know, how young are we talking about here? Hmm. Now, what would you tell a five-year-old who's trying to figure out what to do with their life? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's prescribed. Uh, right. That's right. part of the problem. Our lives are so prescribed because of our educational system mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. then you get to a certain age and then it's not prescribed anymore. And we're not really taught how to uh, sit with what is the next step. Right, yeah. And you can you can look for those prescriptions from... Uh, like a corporate environment mm-hmm. or, you know, certain structured um, career paths. The, like, those can provide that. But if that's not for you, then there's a lot of building infrastructure from the ground up, mm-hmm. which has been my life and it's been very 
hard and sometimes I just want a job with health insurance and vacation and I think oh thank goodness you've taken the path that you've taken (laughs) well who knows where I'll end up but yeah well you'll end up dead I think that that oh oh (laughs) (laughs) sorry to break the news to you (laughs) I'm just surprised that you're the one who said it (laughs) that's usually my line on this show oh really See, we're in alignment. Yeah, we are. Yeah, you're right. We, I will end up dead. Yeah, and I'll end up dead. So, so then the question becomes, okay, what do you want to do then? Yeah. Like, with because we're not dead right now, we're alive. We're in these bodies. Right. What do you want to do to enjoy being in this body? Yeah. Or what do you want to do to? Uh, yeah, how do you want to? It's my song, "Give Love." Like, yeah. what do you, what are you wanting to give to the world? Hmm. So yeah, that's an interesting um, way to explore that question of what to do with your life is, is from that perspective of what do I want to contribute? Um, That could be an inroad into starting to come towards a more concrete idea of the next step or something to try. And like this person is saying their advice is try a lot of things and be patient. And I think trying things is definitely important I think the other thing that I like things have changed in terms of what we expect from people career-wise so it's more normal now for people to do a job for a couple of years and then try a different one mm-hmm. or change careers entirely whereas I think that you know like the boomer generation and before that there was more of a like you you work in this industry till you retire Mm -hmm. you know and you you know it's almost a failure to not be at a work of a place of employment for 20 30 40 years Mm -hmm. and that's really changed but I think my generation and younger is still aware of that norm the, the 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 previous norm and still sort of pushing against it and shame or confusion will come up mm-hmm. around the fact that actually things are different now and we change jobs more frequently and that's okay. You know what's interesting the whole cultural context of it mm-hmm. or global if you think about you know we're all going to die so why are we in these bodies mm-hmm. what do we want to um what do we want to do with our um, experience of living and why are we in these American bodies <laughs> right instead oh, God, of yeah. instead of being born in another country or yeah where, why wasn't I born in Czechoslovakia or in a small Chinese village yeah someplace where your where your role is more prescribed uh-huh so um in a way we have to look at it as a privilege that we're living these lives where you actually have a choice because there are plenty Mm -hmm. of billions of people out there who do not have a choice yeah and so because the temptation is to look at it and feel about it that that it's suffering Uh you know it's suffering i don't know what i want to do i gotta find the right thing to do i mean choice choice paralysis is real and choice is hard challenging in certain ways but yeah, it, but if you if you lift up your perspective a bit and see that, oh wow, like I'm here, I am born right now in this country. I have all of these choices. There are negative things about it, but there's also positive things about mm-hmm, it. Mm-hmm. And um, 
the choice paralysis would be like dorsal vagal around mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. the choices that you just feel like it's too overwhelming. Yeah. But if you can stay in a ventral vagal state and and look at okay, I have all of these choices, but overall, it's a great. I would rather have a lot of choices than have no choice. Uh-huh. And it really is an option to have no choice. They could ask whoever they want, and they'll tell them what to do. People love to tell you what to do. Oh yeah. I mean, I have I have clients who, you know, I mean, they're not actually mad at me, but they're mad at the situation. And and I let them kind of like take it out on me a little, like I encourage them to, but that I'm not going to give them the answer. Mm-hmm. And and that is hard. And it's hard for me too, mm-hmm. that I can't give them the answer, that I can't get the answer. And I would say in terms of being a licensed clinical social worker, that if we look at the system that we've all grown up in here with the education system the way that it is, mm-hmm. where it doesn't really, well, depending on what educational system you're in, a lot of them don't really encourage independent thinking. Mm-hmm. They encourage mm-hmm. like how to get the right answer. Right. So then we're to get all, into the right college. Yeah, to, and to yeah. get into even to get an A on the paper that yeah. you have to get the right answer. Yeah. A multiple yeah. choice test implies that there's one right answer. I know, and I love multiple choice tests. Yeah, because then you can find the right answer. Exactly. Yeah. And, and so <laughs> part of it is to acknowledge that our brains are trained that way. Our brains right. are trained to try to find the right answer, and so when you get out of the whole educational system and you're needing to decide which way to go, yeah. that there's going to be some part in you that's going to say, there's one right answer. Yeah. There's, you know, it's not A, B, C, D. It's one of those is right and the others are all wrong. Yeah. And that whole way, that dualistic type of thinking that something is right and something is wrong, it traps our minds. And then we get into that, oh no, what should I do? Yeah. When actually it doesn't matter. Maybe this is kind of blasphemous to say. It doesn't really matter what you do. <laughs> I agree. It doesn't matter what you do in life. It's what matters is that you do it. I mean, just don't be like, don't kill people and stuff. I think that matters. But Although we could say <laughs> that like there are times when it's um, there. There are times when the choice to kill someone is a good choice. That is true. Yeah, I haven't been. I am privileged to have not been in that situation. Yeah, me too. Yeah, thank yeah. goodness. But yeah. there are some people right. where, thank goodness, they killed that person. Right. Right. Totally. I have those dreams sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> That's for another show. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you know, it's interesting because also like this person who wrote in part of their advice they might give is you'll know when you know. And I, I get the sentiment behind that. I actually struggle a little bit with that concept because I don't think you always know. Mm-hmm. And and I and sometimes and I think sometimes those words can be interpreted to mean that knowing is finite yeah that there's a right answer right and i actually think there might be a clarity in a moment but even that is passing Mm -hmm. you know that maybe like the most clear i have ever felt about anything is around when the the like inspiration struck me for my next tattoo Mm -hmm. and so i i have three and each time it came from this extremely inspired extremely clear place that I cannot seem to achieve anywhere else in my life it's so weird Mm -hmm. but once the tattoo is on there and it's like 
I'm used to it. Mm-hmm. I don't feel that same clarity anymore about why I got it. Mm-hmm. You know, what? and I'm not I don't regret it either. Mm-hmm. But it's like, that is still a passing experience. Mm-hmm. And I was gonna say, thank goodness you don't just aren't feeling that same feeling that you felt when the inspiration came because that would be static right right yeah right yeah that would be then we're not growing yeah like if if um nature if we're part of nature and nature is always moving the ocean's always moving and all of that then that implies that everything is always moving everything's always changing and if we if we have this idea of perfection yeah uh, um oh my friend kathy was saying that perfection is static yeah. That there's yeah. a way where perfection is a stuck state. It's frozen. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. That what we really want is to be in the flow. Yeah. Well, you know, and a friend of mine um, did, ended up doing a PhD program or PsyD program. And the whole time, the whole time she was ambivalent, she, she's done. She's now a doctor. <laughs> she's still ambivalent about it. And it was really important for her to be able to not know through mm-hmm. the entire experience. It, there just was never enough from either side to make that call, whether to drop the program or keep going. Mm-hmm. She was not very happy through most of it. But it made a lot of sense to me that there that her, deci- her decision to stay still made sense to me. Mm-hmm. It would have made sense to me if she'd left, mm-hmm. you know, and it, it kind of doesn't matter mm-hmm. because she did it. Mm-hmm. And that's the choice that was made. But she needed to be ambivalent and like allow her ambivalence through mm-hmm. the entire thing and allow her not knowing. Do you know the, um, I love that Carl Jung quote, Carl Jung, the famous Swiss psychiatrist, he he would say that um, to get to individuation, which is our wholeness, our kind of the goal, I don't know, is to um, be able to tolerate the tension of the opposites. Mm-hmm, so that mm-hmm. means that when you get into this dualistic thinking of this is right, this is wrong, this is good, this is bad, I should stay, I should go. Yeah. But but you don't have that clarity that you felt when the tattoos came through. Mm-hmm. The, then the thing to do is to s- tolerate that tension because yeah. it creates such tension yeah. in us. And to be able to breathe through that not knowing, which is like the worst state to mm-hmm. be in. And we're very bad at doing that for each other, too, because it's uncomfortable. Like, I, I sometimes mm. get in that place where a friend is going back and forth on something and I just want them to decide. I'm like, yeah. it doesn't matter. Just pick one, yeah. you know. Yeah. And like, actually, I... I am. I have to work on allowing their ambivalence too. Mm-hmm. You know, just as much as I need that. Yeah, space. that's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We are almost to the end of the show, so I have to ask some end of the show questions. Okay, so sure, like we could talk about this so much longer. Yeah, always the case. Um, so, one of those questions is if you had. If there's something you know now about the process of therapy that might have been helpful to you before, like the you when you were studying social work and you decided to go to therapy for the first time to try it out, is there something that you've learned since that might be helpful to that younger you to know going in? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that therapy is not about having all these theories and knowing the right answer. Mm-hmm. Therapy 
which other people would disagree with. But for me, <laughs> and what fits for yeah, my but, but you're right. <laughs> <laughs> what's right for me is that for me as a therapist, therapy is being like um, what Michelangelo said that when he would face that block of marble that he would chip away to find what was beneath there, what yeah. was the sculpture beneath there. Mm-hmm. That for me, therapy is a process of that the person is already whole and how do we get to that wholeness? Mm-hmm. So it's not mm-hmm. about me having all these fancy theories and stuff that are gonna tell me the right answer. Yeah. It's about um, being with the person and using whatever I, whatever tools that I know to help them to um, feel what is that masterpiece within them. Mm-hmm. Right, tap into what's already there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That definitely, uh, that definitely fits for my experience too. I still don't know what my masterpiece is, but um, you're also a painter, by the way. That's mm-hmm. we didn't really talk about that, but mm-hmm. um, yeah. I also want to ask: the treasure is buried somewhere in San Francisco. What is the treasure, and where is it buried? Mm-hmm. That, um, and I would say that it's a, it's an illusion and it gets kind of fear-based to say that there is the treasure that is buried and that probably more the truth is that treasure is everywhere Mm -hmm. and it's really about having the eyes to see it's that relates so much to what you're saying about the process of therapy too Mm, yeah that it already our wholeness already exists yeah and it's it's about just accessing it yeah and actually it's everywhere mm-hmm, mm-hmm. or it's in everything and maybe that's a thing how do you find the treasure that is in anything <laughs> i mean tell me please mm-hmm. <laughs> is it drugs mm-hmm. even what is a treasure that's in drugs that yeah to say that drugs are good or bad that's not right. really true no like drugs for for somebody who needs chemotherapy yeah and it works like the drug is like the best thing ever right right yeah so elaine it was really good to have you on the show yeah Um, that was fun can you remind people where to find you on the internet um yes as a therapist i'm at 4614california.com awesome and as a mime in your mime troupe that you're part of no (laughs) i'm just kidding um (laughs) We'll just keep that secret. (laughs) Um, So thank you for listening. I'm glad to be back after taking a couple weeks off. I'll be back next week, of course. And you can tune in at 10 a.m. Pacific time to listen live. You can always listen in the archives or by subscribing to the show wherever you choose to find your podcasts. You can follow. Oh, yeah. Go ahead. Can I say hi to Betsy? Yes, please. Hi, Betsy, if you're still listening. Betsy is my one audience member today. Oh, hey, Betsy. (laughs) Thanks for listening. Um, You can follow the show on Twitter at Radical underscore advice. You can find the station on Twitter at BFF dot spelled out D-O-T F-M. Also both on Facebook, on BFF dot F-M is on Instagram. um, And... 
Definitely go to bff.fm slash donate to support the show in the station. If you set up a recurring monthly donation, you can be a bestie, which gets you all kinds of perks. Um, And even though our summer concert series has come to an end, we're continuing to have our monthly besties bash here at the Secret Alley, which is a magical place that I want you all to see. I, I assume you can vouch for that, oh, having yeah, seen it's it. Amazing! For, <laughs> I love I love the look on people's faces when they haven't been here before. Um, and please go to radicaladviceshow.com and submit a life question. Uh, any more questions? I want to hear from you. Um, yeah, thanks for listening. We're gonna close out the show today with. Uh, let's go with um, a. Uh, well, we were talking about love, so let's listen to I Shall Love Too by Julia Holter from Aviary, which was her album that came out last year. And uh, talk to you next week. That is all. There is nothing else. Who cares what people say? Who cares what people say?